You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. We're going to look again in the book of Joshua. We're at Joshua chapter 8, verse 30. Joshua 8, we're going to read 30 through 35. And before we get there, I've got a few pictures to show from... uh, This was last week, right, Malachi? So I didn't hear the sermon, but I got a good idea maybe what was part of it. So Malachi put here, the good news must go out, the Holy Bible. Not just, I like how he put there, not just another thick book. Appreciate that. It's not. There is no other book like the Bible. So thank you, Malachi. So that was last week. And then, um, let's see. And then we got this one. This came from George. So I appreciate older entries. Hint, hint. Older entries are okay uh, for our pictures. And this is where we were. Now to bring us kind of back where we're at in the book of Joshua, chapter 8. And this was that battle of Ai. George has got all the tents there and the smoke going up. And uh, that's where we were. And now we're going on to this this other place today. But that's kind of, we're right on the heels of this victory at Ai, finally, for Israel. And then we get into our passage. So look at the Word of God if you have it before you. Hopefully you do. Grab one out of a chair uh, in front of you. If you don't have a Word, if you don't have a Bible, um, invite you, find one of these. They're in the back. They're around the place. Take one if you need one. Just take it. We want you to be equipped with the Word of God. So Joshua 8, verses 30 through 35 is what we're looking at today. Here we go with God's Word. At that time, Joshua built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal. Just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. And there in the presence of the people of Israel... He wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner, as well as native-born, with their elders, officers, and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first, to bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel. And the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. Let me pray again for a time in the word. Father, I just pray that what is spoken during our short time together, looking at your word, looking at very various places in your word, that you would get all glory, honor, and praise. Lift our eyes again to your greatness, to the great one, Jesus, our Savior. Holy Spirit, work amongst us. May we hear what we need to hear today, each one of us, including the preacher. Lord, impact our lives with the truth of your word, we would ask. In your name, amen. 
So question here as we've read verses 30 through 35. Why is it here, right here, chapter 8, right after the king of Ai has been hanged and Israel has triumphed over another enemy, does it seem like the motion just stops? Israel and all with her, they stop and they travel. We're going to look at a little bit. They travel north to an area between two mountains and there they offer up sacrifice and they take some time to do some writing. Joshua does some writing and some reading of the law. Wouldn't we expect here that if they stop all the action, the enemy just is able to come and pounce on them? Just gives the enemy time to recoup and plan and figure things out. Seems like a, an odd stoppage here. But as we're learning in this book of Joshua, God's ways of trust and obedience, they don't fit the conventional approaches of how to win wars and take over land. They have God with them. They crossed the Jordan, remember? Uh, they crossed the Jordan, and instead of going in for battle, they all, all the men get circumcised. Kind of a very vulnerable position to be in in enemy territory. But that's what happened. Approaching uh, Jericho, they march for six days, and on the seventh day they, they shout and walls fall down. And now here we find Israel near Mount Ebal, some 20 miles north of Ai, where they had been, and there's, I think there's smack dab in the middle of the territory we know as the promised land. And it's as if everything stops. Or does it here? Does it stop? Perhaps it's better to see this little section in one way, I think, to look at it as a refueling point, an oasis, maybe a rest area on the journey of taking over this land. But what's the fuel? What's the rest here? Here's what it is. It's, it's offerings sacrifice, and a reading of the law. So they stop. Everything pauses, and there's offering, and there's writing and reading of the law. I imagine if I was to say Memorial Day weekend, here's the best way for you to rest on Memorial Day weekend. Think about offerings and think about the law. You, you might not at first think that's the best way of being refueled. We, we tend on a weekend, maybe like Memorial Day, oh, day off, Monday, whatever, it's time to sleep in, take it easy, head to the lake. We want to obviously celebrate, uh, remember those that have given their lives. But a lot of, I mean, mass majority, right? It's a week, grill out, that sort of thing. I think for Israel and for us today, this was a time of purposeful stopping during the mission. A way to stop and remember just who, or maybe even better, whose they were. Who are we as Israel? It's a time to worship and then a time to gladly hear from God. So in the time that I have, I want to pull out some of what's presented to us in this passage and talk really, I think, just kind of to use an outline, three different actions of Joshua in this passage. Perhaps saw them already, but verses 30 through 31, Joshua builds an altar. We're going to talk about that, where they offer their burnt and peace offerings. Talk about that a little bit. Verses 32 through 33, another action of Joshua, he writes. He writes the law on these stones. The people stand, some of them opposite one mountain, some the other. And then verses 34 through 35, Joshua proclaims or reads the law. He reads every word to all who are assembled, both the native Jew and the sojourning person with them. A lot of people involved here. 
So we're going to look at this altar, building of the altar, the writing of the law. People stand before these two mountains and then the proclamation of it. So let's look at verses 30 and 31 just again. Again, at that time, Joshua, there he is, built an altar to the Lord, the God of Israel, on Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the people of Israel. As it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of uncut stones upon which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. Now, I want to do want to give you a little bit of an idea. Do I have the maps in there? Okay, we got one. Oh, you're going to need binoculars at some point here. You just start. I'll know when you start bringing them. Uh, okay, I don't even have a pointer. You're just going to have to go with it. That's a satellite view of Israel. I have circle in red. Can you see Jericho way down below? That's Jericho. AI's kind of northwest of there. And that green and red blob up there, kind of, I think the city is nebula. Hey, thank you, laser pointer out of the air. Uh, that's where we're at. That's Mount Ebal to the north, Mount Gerizim to the south. Now, let's try the next one. This zooms in a little bit. I'm playing with Google Earth. You do this yourself at home. Okay? This kind of gives you a flat, horizontal look. Uh, I think we're looking kind of to the northwest here. Um, town of Shechem, Nob, uh, the current one, Nobulus, something like that. To the south is Mount Gerizim, to the north, Mount Ebal. These two mountains just sitting there. Perhaps you've been to Israel and have been in this vicinity and have seen them. There's these two mountains here, and that's where we're at. Gerizim to the south, Ebal, so Mount of Blessing, Gerizim, Mount of Curse, Mount Ebal to the north. You can leave that up there for now. Some of the uh, writers, commentators, whatever, are going to differ, uh, scholars, on the timing of what's recorded here. Thinking, okay, well, this is not really in line chronologically with AI, some other time, that sort of thing. Um, but I think God, I believe, God gave peace, at least in this portion of the land, or enough fear in the, in the inhabitants of this land for Israel to make this trek against some 20 miles north of Ai, maybe 30 miles from Gilgal where they had kind of camped there, a 30-mile trek to do this ceremony, to perform this. And Matthew Henry points out kind of two things. He points out both the priority of Israel and with them Joshua to do this trek, to make this, to follow God first, to, in a sense, to worship here before further battle, to worship before war. And then of God's protection while everything is essentially paused for the ceremony. So they're here writing a law, reading a law, making altars, sacrificing in relative peace around them. I believe, again, God protecting His people while they worship, while they serve Him here in this town. Now, before we go on and look a little closer some more background is needed. So turn back in your scriptures, just back to the book of Deuteronomy, not very far, chapter 27. And keep your hand in Joshua. Chapter 27, this isn't the only place where blessings and cursing, kind of what we've read about, takes place, or even these mountains, but I think 1 through 9, let's see, yeah, 27, 1 through 8 here, give us kind of a summary, the background for what they're doing. This is not a, a ceremony, a time out of thin air that just happened. This was something, and, and we've read, that Moses had commanded, God had commanded. And it, it's here in Deuteronomy 27. 
It says this in verse 1, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today. And on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. You shall write on them all the words of this law when you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, your, the God of your fathers, has promised you. And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal, and you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones, and you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. You shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. You shall rejoice. That's in the midst of offering commands is rejoice. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law very plainly. And we could read on from there into chapter 28, even into chapter 30. that deals with the blessing and the curse. These commands, blessing, obedience, curse, disobedience. But we find here laid out its instruction for this sacrifice. It's instruction for writing the law, which we'll look at in a bit. There's eating involved. There's rejoicing. And so this tells me time spent here, this was not a, oh, man, we've got to go to these mountains. This was rejoicing. There's, we, yes, blessing and curse, but there's altars, there's sacrifice. There's gladness over these commands. So back in Joshua, then, we find him building an altar just as Moses, really God, had commanded in Deuteronomy. Again, not an unplanned ceremony. One, I think Israel, Joshua, probably the moment they crossed Jordan said, okay, we got to go there. Our destination, at least in part, conquer the land, but our destination is Mount Ebal. We got to get there and do this. This has been commanded. We're going to follow through on this. And so he builds this altar. And specifically, it's built on Mount Ebal. So one mountain representing the curse, one the blessing. Guess where the altar's built? On the one representing the curse. I think this makes sense. The offerings and sacrifices, they were God's provision. As, as imperfect as they were until Christ. Hey, there's shadows going on here. But they were God's provision for atonement to be made. For this relationship to be restored between sinful man on the Mount Ebal, and a holy God. So Joshua builds this altar, and they offer two offerings, burnt, burnt offering and a peace offering. There are some possible purposes, meanings, maybe they interweave with the burnt offering, but I, I think what you, you mainly have represented with it is the idea of atonement, the idea of covering. The blood of that offering, the blood of that beast being offered, covers or pays for, covers the sins of the one offering it. And so here in Joshua, I think it's a sort of corporate burnt offering, this covering. The blood is spilled, people putting their hands on the beast, and its blood is shed, not them. And then there's also this peace offering. Uh, your version might call it a fellowship offering, which I, th I think clues us in to its purpose. It was, it was to be eaten. It could be eaten by the individual offering it. And it was made as an offering of thanksgiving. 
think you could see fellowship through sacrifice was restored between sinful man and his God. So there's a peace. There's kind of a joy, I think, to this. We have peace with God. There's fellowship again. It's an offering. And I think, I think rightly, a thanksgiving. Thank you, Lord. As we sang about, thank you. And they eat, they celebrate. So I think these offerings, they represent, they symbolize two aspects. One is atonement, a covering of sin of the people before their God. Again, going back as Milk prayed about the Garden of Eden and the curse falling on man and our, our, our proneness to sin and rebellion against God. It's how we're wired from birth. And yet God here is a picture of atonement, this blood covering that sin. And then the celebration, thanksgiving, the relationship is restored in this. So that's one. He builds the altar. Let's move on to the other action words of Joshua. Then the writing of the law, the reading of the law. Look at verse 32 and 33. And there, in the presence of the people of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. And all Israel, sojourner as well as native-born, with their elders and officers and their judges, stood on opposite sides of the ark before the Levitical priests who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord, half of them in front of Mount Gerizim, half of them in front of Mount Ebal, just as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded at the first to bless the people of Israel. Again, Joshua and all of Israel. I mean, this comes up. They're following through on the commands of God through Moses from back in Deuteronomy. There's this, Deuteronomy is written, they follow through with it. They're doing it in the land. And I really envision, I think, I think there's two different mounds of stones here. The, the one mound of stone makes up the altar. That, that, those stones had to be unhewn is the word, or, or untooled, not messed with, just stones of the earth piled up. The other stones had the plaster on them. So I think, I think it's right to think there's, there's two mounds. One, the plaster. You wouldn't plaster unhewn, you want just a stone of earth. Another mound of, of um, plaster on these stones in a way that Joshua could write the law. There, there is one, I didn't put it up here, there is one stone they found, I think it's of Balaam, I mean way, you know, Balaam, of, of this even time period, a little before this, of writing on stone like this. And, and you can fit a lot of words in. We think, well, you know, maybe you should try it. Plaster, find a big stone. You got farmers find them all the time. You know, you try see how much you can write on there, but it's, it's uh, written on there. So I think that contain, can contain a lot of, a lot of writing. And that's where Joshua writes down the law on these stones. Then verse 33, we've got half of the people in front of Mount Gerizim, this mount of kind of represent blessing, and then half the people in front of Mount Ebal, the mount of cursing, and the ark, the covenant, you might even think the presence of the Lord in between. If we were to read further, Deuteronomy 27, 9 through 14, then speaks of this setting, and, and it seems like the, the Levites declare in a loud voice both the blessings and the curses to the people of God. I mean, can you picture this scene in the valley? You remember that scene of the mountains and the valley and the people? Perhaps it was acoustically to where you could hear those speaking, perhaps I think the Levites speaking here. One group's near one mountain, the other on the other side. Blessing but cursed if you do this, that sort of thing being pronounced, the law being written. 
the title, the ESV, I don't usually reference these, but it, it titles this section and it says, Joshua Renews the Covenant. That's at least the title in the ESV version. Joshua Renews the Covenant. This is, Israel is God's covenant people. He's chosen them to be his own. And here's a ceremony, I think, for what it means for this people to be the people of God. So there's, there's this covenant. So appreciate that, the renewal of the covenant. Who are we before God? That ceremony of remembrance even. And so then we find the last action of Joshua here where he reads from the law. And I'll just finish the passage again, starting verse 34. And afterward, he, I believe that's Joshua, read all the words of the law, the blessing and the curse, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses commanded that Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel and the women and the little ones and the sojourners who lived among them. There was not a word he did not read to the people. He read all of Moses' commands. And Israel was reminded of what it meant to be the people of God. So we find here Joshua, he's building an altar, he's writing down the law, he's reading the law, this ceremony or covenant renewal. It's God's provision for his people to remember just who they are. These are the people of God. The offerings, the sacrifice restore that relationship, the law represents the covenantal agreement of this people. Between this people and their God, it carries with it blessing and curse. We know the story of Israel. It doesn't end happily ever after. But they do have victories. Uh, they go through cycles, don't they? They'll follow for a time and then they fall away into sin and the judgment of God for violating the covenant. It's not all blessing. It's, and suddenly they have violated. And the curses have come upon them. Uh, Hebrews even tells us, it says the blood of bulls and goats is impossible to take away sin. And so I think these things here, they pointed to something, someone greater than that of Jesus Christ. A, a greater blessing was to come. I've been speaking about these words blessing and curse. I just want to just segue a little bit. What are we thinking about when we think of blessing and curse? Does this mean blessing is I get the new car, curse is my car breaks down? That kind of idea. I want to just, there's little helpfulness here from Matt Champlin writes this. He gives a definition of being blessed. What, what is this? Because it's kind of a over, you know, it's a used term. He says the blessing of God is his relational presence in one's life. Okay? The blessing of God is his relational presence in one's life. He goes on to say, certainly the blessing of God includes life and strength and fertility, but these are largely the manifestations, not the substance of blessing. So the curse of God alienates one from God's presence, while the essence of divine blessing is I will be with you. Seems like we've heard that somewhere in Joshua before. The essence of divine blessing is, I will be with you. It's not always everything's going to 
run right, and go your way. It's that God is with His presence is with us. So I want you to turn then. Let's look to the New Testament. Just one place, Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, that speaks about blessing, being blessed of God. So as we think about this, blessing and curse and sacrifice and what we deserve for our sin. Let's look at Ephesians 1. I'm going to read a little, little more, 3 through 14 here. So Ephesians chapter 1, 3 through 14, as we're thinking about blessings and curses. Here it says, verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. That's what we sang about this morning. With which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. I know we have graduates with us, some of kindergarten, I think, but our senior graduates with us. Really, to all of us today, may we remember these great promises we have that the once-for-all sacrifice for sins has been made by Jesus Christ. He's lavished His grace on us, uniting us to Him as sons and daughters of the King. We're blessed in that we have restored fellowship with God, not through animals offered up that cannot perfect us, but we are blessed because we are in Christ. We are with God. He is with us because of Christ. Because He took on the curse for us, nailing it to the cross. And then through God's Spirit, we have hope. He dwells in every believer. We have a sure hope. Here's what Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 says. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant. We talked about the renewal covenant. Here's a new one. With the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, 
You know, there's marriage uh, language here. They broke these vows. Yes, I'll be with you till the end. And they break them. Though God was their husband, it says. Verse 33, for this is the covenant. So looking forward now, this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. This is what we have through Jesus Christ, our Savior. The titles for my sermons these last four weeks, at least four times I've been, have been pretty easy. Khalees just has to hit copy and paste again. It's fully devoted. This is kind of ending that small series. As we looked at Joshua chapter 7, we saw Achan not being fully devoted. He took some of the loot from Jericho for himself. Joshua and Israel uh, then obeyed God and they devoted Achan to destruction and his household. And, and then from there, then they had victory over Ai and they followed God all the way. And then here we're at the end of Joshua chapter 8 and we see this ceremony of sacrifice and proclamation of God's words. My call to you who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, graduates, everybody else it's here, is to be fully devoted to the one who gave his life for you to be refreshed and renewed by reading God's word we have it for us on the journey this pace of life to stop and be refreshed in what we have the sacrifice has been made it's Jesus Christ the law what we have is word the word came he became flesh he fulfilled Jesus fulfills the law May you be refreshed in that. Refreshed fellowshipping with His people. Refreshed even on a Sunday morning where we could be out other places, right? Doing, zooming around town, whatever. We're here to worship, to be refreshed. May you be refreshed and reflect on the hope that's in Jesus. And if you don't know the Savior, if you do not know Him, I invite you to call out in repentance and faith to trust in Jesus. I cannot sacrifice Enough. I cannot work enough to earn this, that you would look on Jesus as your Savior. The sacrifice has already been made. You've been born again by the Spirit. So we who have been born again can gladly walk with God, celebrate with gladness the sacrifice and His Word.